You are back with The Conversation. This is Catherine Cruz. Welcome to our virtual roundtable. Our guest today, John McDermott. He's the state's long-term care ombudsman and has worked in this area for some 22 years. He holds a master's in divinity from the Jesuit School of Theology at Berkeley, a master's in social work from the University of Hawaii. And prior to working as ombudsman, he served as director of social services at Manolani Nursing Center and at Halinani. Welcome, John. Thank you very much. As Susie Schilbert is president and CEO of Arcadia Family of Companies, which includes the Arcadia, 16 Craigside Senior Living Facilities, as well as Central Union Church Adult Care and Day Health Services and Arcadia Home Health Services. She's here to share uh, what the, the companies are doing to help protect the staff and the, and the clients. Good morning, Susie. Good morning, Catherine. And Hilton Rathel is president and CEO of the Healthcare Association of Hawaii. Uh, he's a familiar voice to our listeners. We check in with him regularly, and since the start of the pandemic, he's been able to give us some context about what's happening uh, with the association members. Uh, the association covers Medicare-certified skilled nursing facilities, public and private hospitals, home care agencies, assisted living facilities, hospice and hospice care. HAH does not represent the mom-and-pop or foster care homes with fewer than five residents. Welcome, Hilton. Good morning. Thanks so much for uh, for your time. Uh, you know, I, I want to circle back to John McDermott. Um, John, you do interface with some of those fall, uh, smaller facilities who provide care to a large number of our seniors. Uh, right. Our job is to be an advocate for anybody who's living in a licensed or certified long-term care facility. So in addition to the 48 nursing homes, that includes the 18 assisted living facilities, the 438 adult residential care homes, and the uh, 1,223 community care family foster homes. So in our state, we have uh, 1,729 facilities over the six islands with um, 12,876 beds. And I'm reading that. I don't have that memorized. (laughs) Well, you know, uh, I, I think it just it goes to show, you know, just the mix that we've got in our community and where our kapuna are being cared for. Yeah, I think it's important that, um, you know, Hawaii is a little bit unique because on the mainland, most of the long-term care residents are really in nursing homes. But in our state, most of our residents are really in the community in these smaller um, care homes and foster homes. So. It's about 4,000 to 8,000, um, 4,000 for the nursing homes and, and 8,000. I'm just kind of rough numbers mm-hmm. here for the, uh, in the community. And so one of the problems that we've had with COVID-19 is that a lot of the uh, information that's coming from the Centers for Disease Control and Centers for Medicare Medicaid Services, the focus is kind of on the nursing homes. And so the smaller facilities have been reaching out to our office because um, they have not gotten as much help as they really need from uh, the Department of Health in terms of PPEs and what kind of guidelines and protocols. And so we're, we're trying to address those issues right now. Okay. And Susie, you represent kind of a broad uh, cross-section as well with the different facilities that, uh, that you handle. Um, how are you folks looking at this COVID situation? So, yeah, we represent, we have Arcadia and 15 Craigside, which have about 600 residents in uh, both of those communities. They range from independent living to assisted living to long-term care, nursing home care. And then we also have about 110 clients who comprise our uh, list of individuals who attend our adult daycare program at Central Union Church, as well as about a total of 170 individuals who receive home care or home health uh, care from us 
within the community. So how we've been um, working to provide that care to the residents, clients, and members is that it's really collaborating uh, with our sister facilities, working through HAH, working, uh, listening to what CDC is saying, CMS, and those guidelines that are coming down, and some of the infection prevention measures that we've put in across our organization include uh, daily wellness and temperature screenings of all of our employees. And the thing to remember is that things are changing from day to day from CDC and the guidelines with respect to COVID-19. So we have a wellness questionnaire form that changes almost on a weekly basis in terms of what questions we need to ask our employees when they're coming into work. We also have the use of PPE, personal protective equipment, which includes right now in all of our venues required face masking, required face shielding, uh, eye protection, as well as social distancing, increased disinfecting measures, and of course hand hygiene. One thing that's been especially hard um, on our on our residents has been our no visitor policy, and we've also had suspension of our communal dining in our communities, as well as limited participation of residents in groups of no more than 10 residents at any one time. Um, we've also been required to have a plan in place should COVID-19 come into our buildings, and what would that look like with respect to isolating the, the individuals who have the virus and maybe even cohorting and what those protocols are and what type of PPE do we have on, on hand. Um, and then one thing that's just important across our uh, across our organization is just continuing to educate our staff about COVID-19 and most importantly just encouraging them to stay at home if they're not feeling well. Um, so a lot of these measures, they have been harsh, they've been stringent for those that we serve, our residents, clients, and members. Um, so we've uh, been, you know, participating in alternative methods to engage our residents and a lot of that has been through technology and utilizing iPads and telehealth visits. So, so the, the adult care, uh, daycare um, mm -hmm. services that you offered, those were suspended. Right. So um, our center was closed March 18th and recently reopened on June 1st with a lot of these protocols in place. And the downside of that is that we were used to servicing about 60 to 65 clients a day, but with social distancing requirements, we've had to cut our census for the adult daycare program, and it's about 30 a day. So okay. we're looking to see what we can do to expand that so we can help our clients come back to the center. All right. And Hilton, you know, you have a, a kind of a handle on on where things are at with your members. Uh, do you know what the latest is with Halinani? Well, we, um, with Halinani, there are a total of 17 individuals that have been identified to date with um, COVID, which is six staff and 10 residents. Um, there's, well, there's one other, one other resident as well from a hospital. Um, the Halinani case is being very, very well managed by that institution. Um, very fortunate in Hawaii that while we've had had a few outbreaks here, we had at Malani, for example, we had one employee who tested positive, but there were no residents. There's been subsequent testing of all employees and residents, and there's been no additional um, COVID positive cases that have shown up. And we at Calicoa Gardens, we had two employees who have tested positive and uh, no residents, and there's been subsequent testing of that facility as well. So with Halinani, um, while, while there is a, a, an outbreak there with both residents and staff, um, there is very active um, surveillance and monitoring that's going on. And so we've had, um, there, there is testing, uh, we have to go through two complete cycles of testing over two weeks um, to ensure that outbreak is contained, but they have been doing an excellent job working with the Department of Health and working with others 
to ensure that both their residents and their staff are being taken care of. You know, we represent, um, Healthcare Association, as you said, represents uh, actually about 170 different healthcare organizations in the state of Hawaii, including 48 long-term care facilities. And despite these, you know, these, uh, these positive cases that we've had at, had at these three facilities, we're still, still doing incredibly well as a state compared to the rest of the nation, which we're incredibly fortunate for. But that, and that has not just happened by happenstance. That has happened because there's been an incredible amount of work done by our members, by the Department of Health, by our residents, and by the families to support our visitation policies, which are challenging, as Susie mentioned. So while there are challenges we're facing, the reality is, Catherine, that we're going to be dealing with COVID for a long time yet. We've been dealing with it for about four months now. We're looking at deal- having to do with COVID till at least well into next summer. So we've got another year of this, we think, at least in front of us. So we're having to settle in for the long haul and figure out how do we continue to take care of all our residents and our staff and the people of Hawaii, not only today and next week, but in the months and even maybe years to come. And what can you tell us about what we've seen on the mainland where there have been particularly bad uh, outbreaks? Well, we've been, um, you know, we've been incredibly fortunate. Um, We had anticipated early on that there would be a lot higher death rate in the state. To date, we've had 18 deaths from COVID-19, which is still tragic that we have 18. But that we have the lowest death rate in the country. When we look at the last 16-week period, um, which is when, you know, how long these numbers have been tracked for COVID. Hawaii, as of last week, still has the lowest death rate in the country, and we have the lowest infection rate in the country. Now, there are a number of reasons for that. One of them is the, the work that's being done by our governor in terms of shutting down the state and who can come into the state. Now, that's going to change effective um, August 1 with the Pacific travel opening up, and there's multiple layers of... Uh, testing and protection that are built into that program, but that is going to definitely increase the exposure for all the people of Hawaii. Um, we've had all the, you know, the bars were shut down, the restaurants were shut down, hospitals, um, hospitals and long-term care facilities shut down, and assisted living facilities shut down their visitor policies to stop or minimize the impact of COVID coming into the facilities. We've had. Um, our hospitals have not been overwhelmed, so if, um, and most of our major hospitals, certainly the ones on Oahu, have all had or, or do have COVID-positive cases, but we have a very, very low death rate again because because we're not overwhelmed, we're able to put the resources into take care into taking care of them. We have um, access to the drug Remdesivir, which comes from Gilead, um, and they have donated uh, doses of that drug across the nation and Hawaii has been fortunate. We have over, I think, around 600 doses of that, uh, 600 individual doses of that drug, and that's being distributed across to the different hospitals, and that is helping to um, reduce the severity of the disease and the length of the disease for people who are hospitalized. Now, that's remdesivir is only for patients who are in a hospital and on oxygen, but there are a number of cases right now, a number of patients right now who are receiving that drug, and that is really helping. So there's, and the other thing is um, supplies of PPE. We're fortunate that while there's been some challenges, um, we're certainly a lot better off than what we were two months ago, 
and we have had overall adequate supplies of PPE. We did not have everything we needed early on in the pandemic. We've learned a lot about what we need to do. The universal masking, all the precautions that people are taking in terms of social distancing, washing the hands, um, and keeping the hands away from their face. All of these types of things have helped us here in Hawaii achieve the results we have. So while we have these, these small outbreaks in different places, and while we've had 18 deaths, which are again a tragic, compared to the rest of the nation, we continue to do incredibly well. But we can only continue to do incredibly well, Catherine, if we continue to take these precautions. And again, we're in this for the long haul. This is not going to go away this summer. It's not going to go away by Christmas. We're going to be dealing with this for at least probably through the end of next summer. And uh, John, John McNerritt, can you uh, talk about, you know, what you're hearing from the smaller facilities? Well, the smaller facilities, you know, these are private homes. And so, um, you know, all of a sudden your kids are not going to school, so you've got to deal with that. Uh, Maybe your spouse was working in the hotel industry, so now um, that that person is probably depressed. And um, um, you might also be taking care of your parents, and in addition, you've also got residents. You know, most of our care homes are type 1, which is five beds or less. Um, and uh, the foster homes, of course, are no more than three. And so, you know, the, these are people who are living with you, and people with dementia, people who have Alzheimer's, it's not that easy, you know, putting a mask on them because they start thinking, you know, are you trying to suffocate me? What, what are you doing coming towards my face there? You know, there can be some combative behavior, you know, bite somebody's finger. So, you, you know... You, you have to accommodate. Every situation is different. And so uh, these caregivers were saying that, you know, I cannot leave my house and wait online to get into Costco or Sam's Club, you know, looking for uh, some kind of, I mean, now we can all find uh, some type of a mask, and, and now there's even on YouTube how to make your own mask. But initially when this first started, everybody was in a panic about where do you get masks. And so same thing with, with these caregivers. And and the issue, really, in, in my mind, is that they're, they're as much essential workers as anybody in a nursing home because they are also taking care of seniors who are the most vulnerable because of all kinds of, uh, you know, um, the disease process, the aging process. They're compromised. That's why they're not living independently on their own. And so, you know, these folks wanted to also be prepared and as professional as possible and and they were struggling and from what they tell me they're still struggling you know to get those kinds of things so um so the 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 nursing homes much better shape much better organized great that they also have you know hah on their side so so you know they they can do those things a lot quicker a lot more effectively but for the those mom and pop facilities like we talked about uh, some of them feel like they've been forgotten and they're kind of on their own and so I know that there's a long-term care task force that Dr. Albert Yazawa is a part of, and it has a number of members from the Department of Health, from Department of Human Services, some doctors and all. And so um, they've heard the plight of the smaller caregiver homes and uh, are trying to work with the Department of Health to get this resolved. Okay, and, you know, uh, we did uh, last month uh, – talked to uh, Kaylee Lopez. She's the state director 
uh, for the lobbying group for seniors with AR, Hawaii ARP. Uh, she was concerned about the uh, personal protective gear, um, and she says that uh, assistance for those smaller care homes is much needed and is slow in coming. Access to PPE across the state can be challenging just because there's such a demand across the country. Our hope has been in our work with the state, they were looking at moving smaller facilities, the foster care homes up higher in priority so that they could obtain the PPE a lot more readily. And anecdotally, we haven't necessarily seen an improvement in that. Uh, And at the same time, I do know that the state is working to try to address it. One of the things that's different for the larger nursing homes, there's about 48 nursing homes that house about 4,500 residents. They get federal funds because they're federally regulated. Uh, These smaller long-term care facilities, there's about 1,680 of them. They house about 8,500 people. So they're really a larger um, base of residents that have to be served by that group. And they aren't federally regulated, so they have to rely on the state for any support. A question I'd like to ask the panel is if they're aware of what the state's plans are, should there be uh, positive outbreaks in these smaller foster care homes and what will be done to assist the residents in those homes and whether the state is open to doing testing at these locations because uh, residents can't always make it to a testing site. ARP in general is supportive of universal testing. So I don't know who wants to take that. Uh, Are you aware of of what the state might be uh, planning? So this is Hilton. Um, If I can um, first address the PPE issue for the care homes and You're right, this is a concern. Initially, uh, early on in the pandemic, there were very limited amounts of PPE nationally and globally. And so it was being prioritized for hospitals and long-term care facilities. But as time has uh, passed, there is now more supplies available. And the the, uh, Healthcare Association, working very closely with the Department of Health and HIEMA, has been providing Uh, PPE to care homes um, and making it available and that we are also collaborating with other partners in the community. For example, Wilson Home Care, uh, which are one of our members, they are providing as a resource, they have actually brought, they've identified a number of suppliers and they have a website um, that healthcare providers or care homes can go to, bewellhawaii.com. So bewell, B-E-W-E-L-L-Y.com. And if you go to that website, if any of, our, uh, any of the care homes go to that website or any other healthcare provider goes to that website, they can order uh, PPE. Now, Wilson, uh, Wilson Care Home or the Wilson uh, Care Group, they, they're not making money on this. They're basically doing this as a community service. They obviously need to get their costs covered. So between what we are doing as an association with the Department of Health and uh, HIEMA and our collaboration with groups such as Wilson Hare, uh, Care Group, um, we are ensuring that PPE is available for care homes, physicians, dentists, um, any, any type of health care provider in the state of Hawaii. Anyone else want to uh, add to this? 
I think this is Susie, uh, Catherine. Just mm -hmm. from respect to the testing component that Kaylee talked about, um, I know testing is only a point-in-time test right now. It's just one part of the infection control strategy that we have. Um, the Arcadia family of companies has always been an advocate for more testing, and we as an organization did decide to move forward with the baseline test for all of our staff. We did that at the beginning of June, but we decided to do this because it was based on federal guidelines um, from CMS and recommendations from CDC. But with that, you know, we are looking, we had all negatives come back at the beginning of June, but again, it's only a point-in-time test. So in looking at testing for care homes, which I think is wonderful if the state's looking to do that, uh, they also need to take into consideration not just a point-in-time baseline test, but they also need to look at expanded interval testing as well as we move forward. But again, testing is only one part of the um, equation that we have for infection prevention measures. And, you know, we have been hearing, you know, from our listeners their concerns about whether, you know, they feel safe, that, you know, that uh, uh, whether their loved ones are safe, you know, where they're at, uh, you know, whatever facility that they're in, you know, it, just as they read about all these stories on the mainland and how bad it could get. Uh, we do have a caller on the line, though. Uh, Wynette? You're on the line. Hello? Oh. Oh, I apologize. You're speaking with me. Yes. Aloha kakahiaka. My name is Gwinnett Gaylord, and I am, in fact, a care home operator. Uh, my homes are in the Makali Mo'ili'ili area. And my concern is that the care homes are being a forgotten group of homes. Uh, the long-term care as far as SNF, ICF, and foster homes are overseen by CMS, and they're being taken care of through them, but we are not. The Department of Health does oversight. That's our regulatory agency. But they're not doing anything in regards to supplying us with necessary PPEs. Um, we're smaller homes, so therefore we do consist of five or less residents. And we don't have the necessary PPEs just in case somebody is testing positive for COVID-19. Um, we're requesting that we do have maybe individual care packages so if we do have someone in our home, it doesn't infect the rest of the residents as well as our families or even the caregivers. What can we do about this at this point? Who wants to take that? Well, again, this is Hilton, and thank you very much for your, your concern and the uh, care you're providing for these residents. Again, um, the Healthcare Association, in conjunction with the Department of Health and HIEMA, is supplying PPE. We do have adequate supplies of masks, of gowns, of face shields, and we are supplying it to any healthcare um, provider in the state of Hawaii, including um, including care homes. So, we do have the supplies. We are distributing the supplies. So, all we need to know is. Uh, you know, how many masks, how many gowns, whatever you need. Um, we're not sending out, you know, supplies for six months at a time. You know, we don't have those quantities, but we do want to ensure that every single healthcare facility in the state does have access to PPE. So, um, again, that we, we are providing through, um, through our emergency services um, uh, off our warehouse out there at Haleiwa, and through, the, uh, through items that have come in through the strategic national stockpile. So, again, we do have uh, gowns, gloves, masks, uh, face shields, things like that for care homes as well. All right.
right. And if you're just joining the conversation, we're talking about care for our kapuna, and we'd like to know uh, what your concerns are. You can join the discussion by calling us at 941-3689 or 1-877-941-3689. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a short break. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, reopening with safety in mind on July 16th, offering reconnections to the art, courtyards, and the museum community with new weekend evening hours. HonoluluMuseum.org Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Arjuna Arda, author of Better Than Sex. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about the ecstatic art of awakening coaching. Sunday morning at 11. Tune in to HPR1 Saturday night for the next Hawaii Public Radio Presents Blue Note virtually live. This week, it's the United States Air Force Band of the Pacific comprised of eight active duty airmen musicians stationed at Joint Base Pearl Harbor Hickam. This year, they're bringing the Independence Day celebration to you, recorded live on the Blue Note Hawaii stage. That's Saturday at 6 p.m. Tune in to HPR1 or listen on your smart speaker. is the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. You know, our guests in our studio today are Hilton Rathel of the Healthcare Association of Hawaii, Susie Schulberg of the Arcadia Family of Companies, and long-term care ombudsman John McDermott. And John, you know, I had mentioned that we were hearing from some of our listeners that they were worried, you know, are their loved ones safe in the facilities where they're at? And I, I was thinking of the smaller care homes when Wynette called, you know, as far as the, the flexibility that they have when one of their, let's say, patients uh, test positive? Well, that's actually a really good question because I, I've i had some care homes say that, you know, we are a small home. We don't have uh, extra bedrooms that we can make into an isolation room. So if somebody uh, ends up being COVID positive, what are we supposed to do? Because they have a roommate, um, they're, you know, they're sharing the same breathing space, and uh, a couple of them said that they, they would call up the hospital and ask, can we send this person to you? And they were basically said no, that uh, unless the person is really, you know, acute care and needs the, um, an emergency room, um, hospitals are not where you uh, have somebody with COVID-19 just sitting around there. So, so that is something that I don't really know um, how the Department of Health is going to address that. Because uh, the other concern that I have is that come August the 1st, when we start having uh, the tourists show up, you know, everybody knows in our state the, the majority of our um, care providers are Filipino and, and the majority of our hotel workers are Filipino. So somebody works in a hotel, they catch something, they bring it home, they live uh, where their spouse, their partner is a caregiver, and it can just get into the home that, that quickly, that easily. Um, and so, you know, that means that the testing becomes very important, but how often are you going to do this? Um, and again, as Susie, or as um, Kelly had said, if I have five people in my home, getting them into a car and driving them to a testing site is probably not going to happen. 
so you know, can there be mobile testing sites that will drive to the care homes? And uh, you know, I mean, 136 of them are in Waipahu, so you can kind of just go from street to street and and make it as easy as possible. So that that's an issue. With the care homes, um, we're trying right now. Um, I'm part of the Office on Aging, and Carolyn Cadirao, our boss, um, gave permission for the um, uh, April and Josephine and Sharon are our three secretaries, and they're calling all the care homes to get their email addresses if they have any, because for the um, foster homes, they're required to have email addresses, and so Community Ties of America, which kind of monitors them and uh, certifies them, they can get out you know, very important information about where to get PPEs or we're in hurricane season right now, any kind of emergency information that people need to know, they can put that on an email blast. Everybody gets that information. But for the care homes, unfortunately, the Department of Health never really uh, insisted that they have an email address, and so everything is kind of by snail mail, and that is way too slow. I mean, it was too slow for a hurricane or a tsunami, and it's definitely too slow for COVID-19. So uh, unfortunately, we've had a couple of care homes that didn't want to give us that information, and so I'm hoping that if they're listening to the show, they understand that this is going to benefit them and their clients by by giving us that information so that we can we can get things that they need as quickly as possible. Are you aware of any cases of anyone, uh, you know, a family, let's say, who just concerned about the safety of their of their parent and maybe pull them out of any of the the care homes or, or well, long-term care? Um, more likely um, the nursing homes in that, you know, people are going from the hospital to the nursing home for therapy. And so um, I've been told that some nursing homes had um, more beds available than usual because families were saying that, well, if I put my mom in a nursing home and now I'm not going to be able to visit her, and, uh, you know, now it's been four months because Kirkland – was February 27th, so March, April, May, June. We're into July now. So if you're not going to be able to see your mom, your dad uh, for four months and, and going on and on, maybe it's better to have them come home, have home therapy, uh, you know, depending on what, what are their medical needs and what can you provide. So for the period when nobody was working, everybody was kind of furloughed and, and at home, there definitely were people who said, no, from the hospital, I'm going to take her home and I'm going to do the best that I can. So um, I know of one case very recently where um, the resident had to go back to the hospital for some kind of a procedure and the wife met him there and it was the first time that she could see him in several months and she was very upset that he had lost so much weight that he really didn't recognize her anymore. It looked like he hadn't been bathed, he hadn't been shaved. And so she was very upset about, you know, what, what's going on in this facility because since I can't visit, I have to take their word that everything is fine. When I call up and they say everything is fine, I believe that. But people with dementia, people with Alzheimer's, you know, out of sight, out of mind. So if, if they don't see you and, and there's no activities, and maybe you're, we have a couple of facilities where there's four to a room, so a rectangular room, and you pull the curtain, the privacy curtain, and this is your life, you know, staring at the walls for, for four months now. Not, not every facility has a TV in the room. Some, some you have to bring your own in. 
And so, you know, if you have no stimulation and the pupil are declining physically, losing weight, those things should be care planned, and the facility should do everything possible to prevent that from happening. So there, there definitely are some cases that I'm hearing where, where families are very upset uh, because of um, the condition of their loved one. And uh, I, I know of someone who expressed some concern because they happen to be at a facility, uh, you know, I guess the late shift, uh, visiting family, and they were noticing that some of the staff, you know, they, they weren't wearing face masks. And I don't know if it's just they were out of, of PPE or if they were just more lax because there weren't people around. So it's, it's hard when you don't have those set of eyes. Right, right. I know the facilities, because um, we, we have volunteer ombudsmen. Now, since the shutdown, they haven't been able to go in. But just prior to the shutdown, uh, several facilities were already starting to check people's temperature and starting to ask them some questions. And so, so very quickly after February the 27th, uh, a, a number of our nursing homes jumped on this and started getting, you know, um, concerned. And so that's very good. But our, our volunteers right now, they can't get in. Now, uh, fortunately, there are some residents who have cell phones and have um, good relationship with the volunteers and will call them up and tell them things that they're seeing, concerns that they have. And so um, we, we, we still have a little bit of an idea of what's going on, but uh, it's unfortunate that you know, the feds also prevented us from going in because uh, we, we, we can't do our job as an advocate if we, if we don't really know what's going on. Right. If, if there are uh, signs of neglect or abuse, yeah, you don't have someone in there to report it. Yeah. So the, the families also have complained that I, I called the nursing station to find out how my husband is doing, and I wait two hours before somebody probably picks up the phone. And I'm thinking, well, you know, are you calling every day? <laughs> because, you know, somebody can either be picking up the phone or they can be taking care of your mom. Which would you prefer? So, again, because families can't go in, they're getting very nervous, and so they're calling constantly. And, you know, I mean, if I was a staffer, this would be driving me crazy because, you know, if there's a situation that you need to know about, we'll tell you, please, will you stop calling every hour on the hour? Um, so, you know, people are just in a panic. We have a call coming in from the Big Island. Jackie, do you have a question? Hello. Hello. Hi. Here are you. What's your question? My question is, I'm, I am the ombudsman for the Big Island, so hi, John. Hey, uh, my question is for Hilton, actually, and I would like to know, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. We've had this conversation a month or two ago. How has anyone tried to get the information for PPEs out to the small facilities because I sent a forwarded email about this radio program to the club. They have sort of a um, bunch of members of care home operators, and they have meetings, and she sent it back to me saying, what is the meaning of the acronym HAH, so Healthcare Association of Hawaii? So I'm kind of thinking that maybe Oahu or possibly got a lot of this information, but I don't know if the neighbor islands did. And then if you could say the website for the Wilson Home Care Supplies again, please. Yeah, Jackie, this is Hilton again. 
thank you very much for your call and your um, and the work you're doing on the Big Island. We really do appreciate your and your advocacy and the advocacy that John has for um, these residents. So, um, you know, H, uh, this is a challenge in terms of getting information out. As John explained, um, it's not a centralised database for all the care homes, and so. While we as an association for all our members, we are communicating with them on a, on a weekly basis at least and sometimes on a daily basis. But let me share with you that information again. So in terms of this, this again is the, if you're a care home or any healthcare professional and you're looking for a short-term supply or an, essentially an emergency supply of PPE, then you can email us at info, I-N-F-O, at hhemc.net. So again, that's info at hhemc.net. So that is our emergency services uh, website where you can request information. Now, if you want to purchase, you know, a larger supply from the Wilson Care Group, for example, you can go, and there may be some other sources out there as well, and there's, we have no financial interest in the Wilson Care Group. They're doing this as a community service. They're just passing these items on a cost, but there's nothing in it for us in terms of promoting them or mentioning them. But their website is bewellhawaii.com. So that is B-E-W-E-L-L. Hawaii.com. So it's all one word, bewellhawaii.com. So again, whether you're, if you want a short-term supply or an emergency supply, you can contact us at the info at hhemc.net. And we have, again, masks, gowns, gloves, things like that. If you want to purchase supplies, you can go to the Wilson Care Group at bewellhawaii.com, and they can help you out. You know, I took a call earlier this morning before the show from um, a care home operator, I think, in Hilo, and she expressed that, you know, they did have surgical masks. They ran out of those. They're using cloth masks, but she, you know, wants to get her hands on N95 masks and hoping she'll call in uh, before we run out of time. But, you know, so it's that kind of thing. It's, it's, I think people are interested. They want to provide the best care for their, for their staff and for their uh, clients, um, but just need some help. We have another call from Honolulu this time. Sarah, you have a question? Yes. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Um, I am a home visiting physician in Honolulu, and I'm on calls with Hilton and no, John also, so hello. <laughs> um, and I first wanted to just say I know that the, uh, the address that Hilton just gave out, the email address, has worked for several of our caregivers. We've been distributing that for a couple of weeks. Um, I don't know if anybody has gotten has gone to the Be Well website for Wilson, but I know they were contacting them before the website was up and running. Um, I know there's lots of work happening in a bunch of different spaces to push this long-term care setting forward in the smaller homes for foster and care homes. Um, I think somebody earlier said, maybe it was Lynette, that the foster homes are under federal regulation too. The, our foster homes are not getting federal aid either. So both together, the, the care homes and the foster homes house over 60% of our long-term care patients here. Um, and I think that it's time that the 
DOH and all the decision-making bodies really stop talking about this as something separate than our long-term care facilities. They, this is where our long-term patients are housed. And I'm, I guess my question to the panel is, how do we make that language change? How do we um, help to have that cultural or perspective shift happen at the decision-making bodies um, in order to have the arches and the foster homes be talked about in the same breath as, quote, long-term care facilities, because that's what they are. Um, okay, and, so who wants, the, who wants to take that question? The supply Sorry about that. Who wants to take that question? Well, I know that um, the legislature has been um, concerned about this because I've received emails from um, Senator Sharon Morawaki and Representative Joy San Buenaventura. And, um, you know, we're getting $100 million from the Fed's um, CARES money for PPEs. And, um, and they were asking, is that only going to go to the nursing homes, or is that also going to go to the care homes and the foster homes? Um, because, you know, if this goes on for months and months, uh, these things start becoming pretty expensive, and um, uh, some of them are actually only supposed to be worn once. It's supposed to be disposable. So, you know, I, as far as I know, it's the Department of Health that's going to make that determination. And so uh, I think the more that they hear from the public that please do not forget uh, these uh, smaller facilities because, again, they are essential workers. They are saving us a lot of money. If, if they didn't exist, all these folks would have to be in nursing homes, which is $15,000 a month. So, you know, they're, they're, they're doing something that's vital. We need them. And uh, this is not the time to, you know, treat them as second class. So, um, you know, I appreciate that um, Wilson is willing to, you know, sell at cost. Uh, but, um, you know, if we're getting federal money that is going to provide this to the facilities uh, at no cost, then that should be the same for the foster homes and the care homes. You know, we, we did have a uh, listener uh, write in, um, commented that uh, his, uh, this person's mother is independently living at a senior care facility. Two employees there had COVID, uh, tested positive for COVID-19 and are isolating at home while the residents were quarantined. The quarantine has since been lifted. Uh, this person says, my mother will now be able to leave and return to the facility, but will she need to write down all the places that she's been visiting? If this was your mother, what questions would you be asking the facility's management? I don't know. Um, so Susie, I can, you want to take that? I can chime in on that one, sure. Okay. Um, so with respect to our residents here at Arcadia and 15 Craigside, during the month of May, we actually had very stringent guidelines for our residents. And if they left during the month of May and went outside of the building, we required them to quarantine for 14 days when they came back. And this was because the state was reopening and we wanted to see how things were going to go. And come June 1st, we took that restriction away. And so now our residents who live independently and in our assisted living program, they come and go in the building, go, go out into the community, but we do require them to write down where they're going so that in the case that we do have a positive case, we can uh, you know, start the beginnings of contact tracing. 
So, um, you know, with that individual, with respect to her mom, what should management be doing? You know, I think one of the biggest things that we've seen within our organization is really just maintaining that trust with our residents and with our staff and making sure that we continue to keep lines of communication open. We have seen, um, before this show, I asked our administrators in both of our nursing home components, I asked them, are you guys getting questions from family members? Are they asking, should I be taking my loved one out? And uh, they said, they're not really getting any questions. Uh, at 15 Craigside, nothing. Uh, at Arcadia, the question is, when can we take mom out of the nursing, nursing home level? And right now, they still can't, no visitor policy and no going out on, on joy rides. But what we've done is we've really tried to be very proactive in terms of our communication. We put out a weekly newsletter that's called, uh, ironically enough, The Silver Linings of COVID-19 that shares all of the good things that are happening. We have uh, developed a three to five minute YouTube video that goes out every week to our families, residents, clients, members, and staff. We also have our social workers at different levels of care within our communities um, go above and beyond to communicate with families to make sure that they know what's going on. So making sure that that communication and remaining calm has really helped us to walk through all of the phases that we've been through so far with COVID-19 and putting families at ease. Um, of 600 residents that we have in our two communities, we have had three residents that have left our community to opt to stay outside of the community uh, through COVID-19 since, and that was in March. Since then, as of today, two of those residents have returned back to the community. Um, and then we also have another resident who still remains out and is expected to come back in September. But one of our residents, a retired registered nurse here at Arcadia, she, she has two sons who live locally and they said, mom, dad, can you please come home, stay with us during this? We don't want you at Arcadia because if it breaks out, you know, you're gonna be at risk. And she very clearly told them, absolutely not. I am the safest that I can be within this community at Arcadia, and I'm going to remain here. So um, what I just want to say to all the callers who are calling in about the care homes, um, we, with respect to the Arcadia family, you know, we are all in this together. If there is anything that we can do to help to provide resources, to help to provide information, to help to advocate, please let us know. And we are we're in it, you know. 12,876 beds statewide, and we're all in it together. So anything we can do, just let us know. You know, we did reach out to the University of Hawaii Elder Law Program. You know, it helps seniors with simple wills, powers of attorney. And its director, James Peach, says that, uh, you know, he's been fielding lots of questions about updating advanced health care directives because of this uh, coronavirus. What do these folks in the facility want uh, if they're still capacitated to make decisions, and if they are incapacitated, what really matters to them? Would being placed in short-term coma or on, or on a respirator not be as, as difficult to them to imagine as it would just last year or whenever they may have made their advance directive? I, I know several people who have called say, I'm not so certain that I want to automatically refuse the tube feeding and resuscitation because of what we've heard is that many times you do need to have uh, some form of intervention and is the old advanced directive adequate under COVID-19 circumstances. And I don't know if any of you are getting any questions about you know, things like this. 
Um, we're not necessarily getting questions about it within our communities, but we do every year check in with our residents to make sure that their advanced directive and their um, is updated. Also, we have the provider order for life-sustaining treatment, which is the PULST, and we make sure that that's updated on a regular basis. So uh, most of our residents have both of those in place, and we check in with them annually to see if they want to make any changes. And to date, in light of the pandemic, we haven't had too many changes to those, to those documents. And I would imagine, too, if you're making a decision about, um, you know, moving uh, your loved one you know, in or out of a, a facility, you know, you do want to consult with your doctor, you know, and, and, and make sure you've got things, you know, like the advanced directives, you know, buttoned down. Most definitely. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought that up, Catherine, because the question about removing a loved one from a long-term care setting, wherever that may be, I think that coordination and discussion and dialogue with the primary care physician is of the utmost importance to make sure that you know what you're getting into as that primary caregiver that you're going to be caring for that individual and loved one at home. And, you know, uh, uh, Jim Peach also um uh, let us know that he was concerned about, you know, how long-term care facilities are monitoring seniors' mental health during this pandemic. Uh, he acknowledged that loved ones can still call and video conference, but that might not be enough. That's not the same as uh, being with them. What effect is that having on the residents? Do they see um, a change that's happening to some of their residents? Is it is there more depression? Is Is there more anxiety? Uh, are they being kept uh, abreast of what's happening in the community with respect to COVID-19? And, uh, you know, I, I think maybe on that point, if we can just uh, have some final thoughts, because we are running out of time, but uh, mental health, it's really important with our seniors. I think that uh, this is John. Um, Jim's point is really right on, because somebody who goes to activities, somebody who goes to the communal dining room, staff are going to notice if they're not acting the way they normally are, something's going on here. But if that same person is now just kind of left in their bedroom pretty much alone, I don't know if you would notice that their, their personality is changing or their mental status is declining because your focus really now is more on just the basics of keeping them clean and keeping them fed. And uh, so where are the staff that are going to be able to observe those things? And I know okay. from the Arcadia family of company side, um, I agree with what John's saying. Uh, for us, we do focus on the behavioral well-being of these residents, um, making sure that we're thinking outside the box in terms of how we can provide and engage them on a regular basis, um, taking them through what's going on with respect to the pandemic. We just we don't have only nursing home here. We have also assisted living and independent and. Yes, we, we do see decline, both cognitively and physically, and we are fighting like you-know-what to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, some of them are upset, they're mad, but we work in ways to engage them and say, okay, let's be part of this solution and what can we do? We've had residents who have, uh, we have an army of seamstresses who became involved and have made over 5,000 reusable masks that they've sewn. We have residents who have helped You know what, I hate to cut you off, but we're just about out of time. And Hilton, I apologize, I wanted to get some final thoughts in there. Uh, but we'd like to thank everyone who called in uh, today for joining us on today's show. We would welcome your feedback about our discussion. Please contact the Talkback line and leave your comments. That number, 808-792-8217. You can also email
email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. And if you want to listen back to today's show, check out the Conversation Podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. We are taking a break for the Independence Day holiday. We hope you'll come back and tune in with us on Monday for more of the conversation. Thank you.